This is episode 73 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today. Though we wear clothes every day, at least most of us do, many of us don't think about the entrepreneurial and economic aspects related to the clothes we wear. Like many other business industries, the fashion industry is going through a massive disruption, making it a great time to be an entrepreneur and creative person within the fashion industry. That said, it's also really tough. Shannon Whitehead joins me today to discuss how to sell business success in the fashion industry. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. If you're struggling to keep up with processing your email, SaneBox might be just the tool you need. It has saved me hours of time each month, and the amount of peace of mind I get from it is priceless. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff into a different folder, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see. Aside from removing all of the junk so you can focus on the messages that matter, there's this great feature called the black hole. Move an email into that folder and you'll never hear from the sender again. One and done. Just how we like it. Because email can be such a bear and keep you from finishing the stuff that matters, we worked out a great deal for our listeners. Visit sanebox.com forward slash giant and they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter the credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Again, that's S-A-N-E box.com forward slash giant. I'm delighted to introduce you to Shannon Whitehead today, Creative Giants. Shannon is fixated on changing the fashion industry one entrepreneur at a time. Having launched her own sustainable apparel company in 2010, Shannon knows firsthand the fashion industry is one of the hardest to break into. Based on her and her partner's struggles and successes, including launching the highest funded fashion project in Kickstarter history, She's founded an accelerator program called Factory 45 that takes sustainable apparel companies from idea to launch, all without raising VC funding. Every startup that's completed the program and then launched a Kickstarter has been successfully funded. With her experience as a founder and her experience coaching and consulting with other fashion entrepreneurs, Shannon is a perfect person to talk to us today about the changes going on in the fashion industry and what entrepreneurs and creative changemakers can do to tap into what's going on. Shannon, thanks so much for the great work that you do and for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. All righty. So I'm really interested in talking to you because I actually don't know enough about the apparel industry and the fashion industry. So um, it's going to be super fun for me. Um, But as an entrepreneur, right, when you decide to start your own company, there's always that moment of like, really, I'm doing this? Like, this is seriously a thing? So why did you decide to start your own sustainable apparel company in the first place? Well, that's the big question, right? Um, I don't have a straightforward answer for you, but I will say that I knew I wanted to start a business. That was the main goal was to create freedom and have passion and purpose and all those things that sort of like Gen Y and millennials want out of their lives. Um, I, I fell victim to that for sure. But it was such a positive thing for me. I ended up meeting my future co-founder, um, bartending in Australia. We both uh, 
you know, happened upon each other. And then two years later, we reconnected when we were back in the States and we decided, you know what, we, we want to keep traveling and we want to create a business where we can work from our, for ourselves. Um, and so that's sort of how the initial spark evolved was that it wasn't like, oh, we just love fashion. I was a journalism major. She was a business major. We just knew that we wanted to create a business and we went down to Central America and it sort of spiraled from there. And we ended up eventually uh, a year and a half later launching a clothing company. So I'm going to play that that lineup because you mentioned you were a journalism major and she was what, a business major? Yeah, finance. Finance. Yeah. Why apparel? Like why clothing? So it sparked from our travels. Um, we sort of tapped in, this was back in 2010. So we started to tap into sort of this minimalist movement that was starting to occur. Um, and we thought, what if we could design 10 pieces that could create over 100 different looks? You could just throw them in a backpack or a suitcase and take them on your way, you know, and on all your adventures. Um, and so while we did not end up, thank God, launching 10 pieces, it was just too, you know, way too hard, way too ambitious to start that way. We did end up launching one piece that could be worn over 30 different ways. Um, and it ended up being our signature piece. And it was what we, you know, got off the ground with. It was called the Versalette. Um, so you, I'm going to fast forward a little yes. bit. Actually, no, I'll, I'll hang out here. So um, the Versalette, you tapped into a movement. Um, I don't know. I, I still, so I get this question a lot too. Like, why did you start this, this particular business? Right. Um, cause I have, well, mine is more straightforward than yours. So still clothing. That's what's blowing my mind. Cause you guys could have done <laughs> like how can we get the hardest to business to start? Like, Oh yeah. Why that one? Yeah. Why that one? So that's the, you know, it's not, I mean, the entrepreneurial impulse is like, a lot of people have it, right? Yeah. Also yeah. A lot of people have it. But so I'm going to dive in there because, you know, every industry has different trends and different things that make it tick, right? And I've heard that the fashion industry can be really, really tough, right? Yes. What is it about the fashion industry that makes it tough? Ooh, where do I begin? Um, well, first, what we made it, you're we made it even harder on ourselves because we wanted to do it sustainably and ethically. And that is pretty much unheard of in the fashion industry. So we really, what happened was we went down to Central America. We thought we were going to start an import export business of fair trade items. So that's where it started. And then we realized when we were down there, no, we have this better idea to create this line of 10 pieces which then evolved. But we, we visited organic cotton farms. We started doing our research. And really what we realized is there is a niche for this. It was women like us who wanted to simplify their wardrobes. I think that movement is huge now, like a, a lot, you know, a lot bigger than six years ago. And so that's what it was, was that it, we felt like we were creating a product that we wanted and we knew that other women wanted. Does that answer your question better? Yeah, it does answer <laughs> a little bit, but I, I don't know. It's like, ah. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to throw in a plug here for Courtney Carver at Be More yes. Plus. Um, she's got a project called Project 333, which is, what is it, wearing, I always get the threes mixed up, three pieces of clothing for 30. 33 pieces 33. of clothing for three months. There we go. I always get forget where it is. Courtney Carver, be more with us. We'll link it up in the show notes. She's, She's amazing. Yes. Right. Um, so, okay. Um, there, there was clearly a need 
And so the fashion industry, Let, let's talk about some of the different trends that make it tough to get started in there. Sure. Um, well, the fashion industry is historically very closed off. So it's just, it's a lot of, especially in the U.S., it's a lot of industry veterans, old white men who have been doing this for many, many years, and they have their factories and there's no trust. So they're really closed off to outsiders. Um, and, you know, I could get into like NAFTA and all that, but that's really where it came from. It's like you had Nike manufacturing in the U.S. and then they pulled out in, you know, early 2000s and late 90s. Um, and so from that, we really, it was like we put one foot in front of the other is what happened and we were accountable to each other. It wasn't like one of us could give up and just say, oh, well, yikes, this is like really hard. Fashion's really hard, so let's not do this because we were accountable to each other. And so with every challenge, you know, sourcing sustainable fabric, okay, what does sustainable mean? Looking for an ethical manufacturer in the U.S., okay, where are they? These aren't things that you can just Google. Um, so we just put our hands out to every resource that we could really, who would answer us, who would answer our emails and our phone calls. Um, so those are the challenges is break, just breaking in. And once that one door opens, it, the rest just falls into place. Okay. So you mentioned a lot of the manufacturing and, distribu and distribution side there, right? Yes. More so a notice, more so than sort of the marketing and, and things like that, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and so um, you solved the marketing problem with Kickstarter, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, in, in your work at um, Factory 45, you mentioned that the fashion industry is undergoing a massive disruption. So, I mean, we're seeing a lot of disruptions along a lot, a lot, of, a lot of different industries. So yeah. what are the trends that are really leading to fashion, the fashion industry's disruption? the barrier to entry is lowering. And that is huge. That's the biggest thing because it used to be that, oh, you have to go show at Fashion Week, you know, New York Fashion Week, and oh, one show is going to be $50,000. And that's the only way you're ever going to be discovered. Now it's, you know, you have established brands launching on Kickstarter. You have new brands launching on Kickstarter. Um, the discovery phase, the testing the product before you go into production, before you invest tens of thousands of dollars into a production run, you can actually put it out there into the world and say, hey, does anyone want to buy this? And that's just, I mean, that's, I excuse the expression, but game changing. <laughs> I mean, it is. And we're seeing that across all industries. I was talking to uh, my good friend, Corey Huff, the other night, and we were talking about how to disrupt an industry, right? And um, one of the first go-to places is to remove middlemen or middle processes, right? And that's really what you're able to do in the fashion industry. And so many yeah. industries right now is you cut out the gatekeepers, you cut out the good old boys, you cut out the, the yeah. supply chains, and you can remove all those different middle um, middle pieces, disintermediation is actually what it's called, right? Um, you get those pieces out and you can go direct to consumer and you can t sell them a product before you've made it, right? Totally. The pre-sale model, also being able to lower the price point, making a, a more accessible price point because you don't have that middleman. Um, yeah, all of that is, is huge for the new entrepreneur. All righty. So, um, whenever we see an opportunity like you know, the barrier of entry drops, right? Yeah, we also yeah. see a counter a counterbalancing of like, there's a lot of people doing it, right? Yes, yes, influx, yeah. Um, and so besides that, that's one of those things we can expect after lower barrier entry, you increase competition. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the other 
challenges that might come up for someone who's thinking about starting, you know, the clothing line or fashion company? Um, I think for me, it's whenever I talk to my entrepreneurs, you know, the people who email me and say, I want to start a clothing line. that's going to be a 15 piece collection. And you know, they don't, or like, I want to start a t-shirt company. I always say like, what's the problem you're solving? Um, and that people, you'd be surprised people don't think that through as much. Um, you can't, necessarily rely on your brand that's important but you can't rely on it in the beginning you're not Louis Vuitton you're not Chanel um so really like who are your people and how are you going to solve a problem for them I think that's that's one of the biggest challenges that's an interesting question because normally we see there's some industries that, that solve problems Yes. And there are some industries that deliver delights, right? Um, Walt Disney and the, you know, Walt Disney World does not actually solve many problems, right? It delivers right. delights. Right. Right. Which and so, clothing can do. Clothing can do, but you mentioned solving the problem, which puts it on a sort of a different category of questions. Mm -hmm. um, so how do I ask a good question around that? Because that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. I would have thought you went to delivering the delights route, right? How do you make something that... Um, delights people in a particular way that's not currently on the market, right? Which you can frame as a problem. Yeah. Still. Right, right. Well, I think that's the key part is you can frame that as a problem. You know, there are women out there who really want to only buy ethically made sustainable clothing. It's a small amount of women, but they're there. And so, you know, I have an entrepreneur who she hit her Kickstarter goal in 27 hours. And I think it was because part of that, her, her video appealed to the woman who wants to buy ethically, wants to pare down her wardrobe. She was doing minimal, um, again, actually minimalist clothing. Um, so I think it's both. Okay. Um, hmm. Now you're going to have me thinking about that for the rest of the day. <laughs> uh, how would, anyways, you see, well, she sees what I'm wearing. I'm, I, I wear basically the same thing every day in different colors because I don't feel like deciding every morning what I'm going to wear, right? And so right. Um, I'm not the most aesthetically inclined um, in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, yes. And the men's, the men's fashion is definitely a different beast for sure, which I do take on. But I mean, I can give you an example of like a, a, one entrepreneur who came through who was solving a problem and um, she was 21 years old. She was in a car accident. She ended up being paralyzed from the waist down. She wanted to have fashionable clothing, but she was in a wheelchair. You know, she's, she's in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And there she couldn't find jeans that she felt like looked, still looked cute. You know, she's in her twenties. Um, but also there are the other things that come with, you know, catheters and, you know, calluses and all of these other things. Um, and so she ended up launching a denim line for women um, and men, young people in wheelchairs. And it, it went viral, was mashable and all this press during her Kickstarter campaign. So that's one example. Hmm. So it seems like you're getting the push a, to push an edge. Like, so what's that? Yeah. You know, edge, whether it's Your minimalism, yeah. Yeah. minimalism or whether it's, you know, solving this problem for people in wheelchairs. Okay. I get it. I get it now. Yeah. Um, I couldn't design a shirt to save my, you know, my, <laughs> well, we're life. not asking, asking you to, I couldn't exactly. do a podcast to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We do different things. Um, you know, one of the things I, I was looking at with the Factory 45 program is that it highlights um, that, it, that it bypasses the VC funding avenue. Um, why have you chosen to play that particular thing up? Yeah, that's huge for me. Um, 
you know, when I looked to launch Factory 45, I saw, I looked at the tech world, obviously, as my first, you know, there's so many incubators and accelerators out there. And I saw so much VC money going to companies that didn't even have a customer yet. They had not launched. They had not put their product out there. And that seems a little bit backwards to me. Um, So my Factory 45 is based on the fact that you can launch without VC money. You can test the market. You can see if people want your product. And then, you know, you get that first seed money for your first uh, production run and then go from there, you know, start to see if you can attract customers, grow organically, and then see if the VC money comes. Okay. So it's more, hmm. it seems like it's more of a pragmatic, like this is a faster way to market than an idealistic thing. I think so. And I also think it's just not that feasible for fashion companies to raise venture capital off, uh, off, like you even look at Everlane, like they are huge. Now they have so much invest, so many investors, but they started out with nothing um, until they like, you know, just basically bootstrapped for a few years. Alrighty. So you learned a lot about the fashion industry the hard way through Revolution Apparel, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> and a lot of those lessons learned is what you're applying for in, in the Factory 45 program. But I'm curious. Um, I remember... Mm, I remember around the time the Revolution Apparel was really getting known in the in the revo- in the minimalist community and people yeah. were talking about it, and I was like, I got to find out more about this, right? Just because I'm really curious about it. So it had a lot of buzz and a lot of yeah. going for it. Yet um, you and Kristen still decided to close up shop. Yes. Why? So I know it's the golden question that everyone always wants to know. Um, At the time, it was such a hard thing to process because like you said, I mean, we had just been featured in the New York Times. We had quadrupled our first production run. We were doing a redesign of the Versalette to launch again. All these things were amazing. And we had such entrepreneurial burnout. We were... So we had gone on this three-month road trip together of promoting the product and our company. And by the time we got back, we just really wanted to move on to other projects. And I think it's hard for people to understand that when they see a path to success that you could just like abandon ship. But if your heart's not in it anymore and you aren't feeling that same passion and hustle, then why move forward when there are so many other projects and business ideas that you can pursue that you might, you know, still feel passionate about? So that's it. I mean, we're still friends. She's coming to my wedding in May. Um, it's, it, it's all good. Yeah. You know, you mentioned earlier, like before we talked, I didn't know that you weren't a fashionista to start with. Right. Not, yeah. All right. So that's where it got me when I was reading. I was like, why did they shut it down? And like, if that's what it was, but it was a means to an end, right? Yeah. Much more mm-hmm. so than, than your calling as. It was a first project. Yeah. First project. I love the way that you <laughs> phrase that, right? Yeah. So, um, let's talk about some of the challenges with that though. Cause that's what we don't often talk about, right? Yes. Is when you've got a good thing going and you can't keep going with it. Right. Yes. Um, so was it, how long did it take you guys to make that decision and really work through it? And what were some of the tension points? Just kind of talk us through that story. Yeah. So I guess it's start, you know, it's, it was not an impulsive decision by any means. It was probably like a three month decision. And like I said, we were redesigning the product. We had raised about 30 K to go into a second production run. So, you know, we were ready to go. Um, and I remember one 
day just sitting in her room. We were both nomadic at that point, like very unsettled. Um, we again had just gotten back from this road trip and we started just talking like long-term and big vision. And it would go from, we're going to be the next Spanx to, do we really want to do this anymore? To, we're going to be on the Today Show to, do we really want to do this anymore? It was like such a flip-flop back and forth. And we just had a, probably a three-hour conversation, you know, tears, all of it. And um, at the end of the conversation, we were like, you know, our hearts aren't in it anymore. And, and we wanted to stay friends. We didn't want the business to ruin our, our relationship. And so did you just close it? Did you sell it? Did you, what happened in that transfer? So we put, we told everyone we were closing down. We were open to people who wanted to buy the product or buy the business. Um, but you know, so much of the brand was us. So that would have been a hard sell. Um, we then sort of took a break. I went to Bali for a month, you know, did the whole eat, love, eat, pray, love thing. Um, and then we came back and Kristen decided to start her own brand, Seemly, which is now, you know, still existing. It's awesome. Um, and she is, she was selling the Versalette, uh, on through Seemly. I think they just, she just finished the last little batch of it, but, um, yeah, so she did that for about two years selling, selling the Versalette. And I went on to start consulting for, on a per project basis right before launching factory 45. This is interesting because Kristen had the finance degree and stayed mm -hmm. in fashion. Yeah. Right. You had the journalism degree, but went into um, business consulting, right? Yeah. So just, um, you're full of surprises, Shannon. <laughs> I guess so. I just, I mean, I think I picked journalism in college because I didn't know what I, I, entrepreneurship was my worst grade in my entire college career, if that says anything. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, I'm going to do over. That, that's yeah, right. I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong, Professor Rossi. <laughs> Alrighty. So, um, you know, that's a fascinating story because a lot of times, um, most people don't understand how hard it is when you're known for the wrong thing mm -hmm. or when you're built something that really didn't align with your, with where you wanted to go in life, how hard it can be to jump. Right. Um, and you know, you could be the next Lululemon and I'm sure you had all of those types of things popping right. up. Right. Yeah. And, um, then you walk away from it. So, yeah. um, I just wanted to, you know, um, throw a big shout out to your courage and sort of the heart that it takes to do that. Cause I know it's hard to do. Thank you. And I think it also, you know, it, it, everyone, you know, whoever's listening should know, like, it, it doesn't always have to be an end game. Like it can be the step, a stepping stone to the next thing. And that's what it was for me. Factory 45 now, you know, is my ideal business. I'm living my ideal life, you know, like everything about it is what I want it to be. And so revolution, I couldn't have started factory 45 if I didn't learn everything through revolution apparel. So let's talk about that transition because that's a good one. Um, what was harder with Factory 45 than you thought it would be? And what was a lot easier than you thought it would be mm, in the early days? Yeah. Well, in the, in the early days, you know, I, when I opened applications the first time, um, that was March 2014, I was just trying to get 10 people. So... I thought that was going to be impossible. And, you know, I ended up getting 30 applicants. It was not a lot, but I got my 10. And then it was like this natural organic growth. And I grew, I think, 
270% the following year. And then, you know, again, I did two sessions this past year. Um, so that while not easy, definitely not easy, was easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, what was harder was like, hmm, there's so many things. Um, I think this is going to sound so simple, but it was harder to market my message in a way that people like understood. I, I, have, I feel like I'm constantly evolving my marketing strategy and my messaging and all of that so that people can better understand it. And I think that's something that we as entrepreneurs and especially as online entrepreneurs can underestimate. Like we think, oh, well, like, of course this makes sense. Or like, of course this is clear to everyone. Of course they're reading every blog post and, you know, they, everything uh, is so symbiotic, but that's not the case. Um, and so that's, yeah, a constant challenge. Yeah. And we often like, we often forget that people who are reading don't know everything that we know. Right. Exactly. Right. And so like, we know everything we've written. Like, so at PF, we were talking about this last week, right? So we're getting very close to a thousand posts and, you know, with posts and pages and things wow. like that. And I remember a good 85, 90% of it. Right. And so mm -hmm. I'm like, all those things I'm like I've already written about that. It's like no one knows that you've written about. Yes, right? um, totally. And then there's all the stuff I haven't written about. So you get stuck in this idea where you think the people that you're talking to knows everything that you're talking about. Like exactly, they don't. They don't. No. All right. So um, to to 2014. So just as an example, what was what? How did you talk about Factory 45 in 2014? Oh my gosh, it's different than yeah. how you talk about it now. Oh man. Okay. So. I called it an, an accelerator program for made in the USA. And I had people applying who were interior designers and who wanted to create like landscaping apparatuses and um, like all of these random products. So that clearly was like not, you know, the best messaging. Now it's very like, an accelerator program for sustainable apparel companies. And even now sustainable apparel is jargony and it's not necessarily clear to everyone, but it's clear enough to my target market. Yeah. Um, we use sustainable in at least three different ways, right? Yeah, um, totally. And so you got to be super clear. What, what version of sustainability do you mean? Environmentally friendly. Environmentally friendly. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I'm gonna let you get on the stump here a little bit because people don't know. I didn't know before I started reading about um, you all a few years ago, actually, yeah. how not environmentally friendly like the apparel line or the, the fashion industry is. Industry is yeah. So um, give us a sense for like why that's such a big deal. Yeah, I, and I won't go like too onto my soapbox because I know that's not what this is about. But actually, it is. Go, go. Okay, <laughs> all right. The average American throws away sixty-eight pounds of textiles every year. So that is just that is clothing going into our landfills, and most of it is petroleum-based now, which means it's not going to decompose for, for hundreds of years. Um, there are huge humanitarian issues. Regard, you know, we have we have factory fires. We have factory collapses in countries like Bangladesh, Vietnam, Cambodia. Um, it, we have 27 million slaves, slaves, like people not making even any, any wage, um, making our clothing. It's, it's, 
fashion is the number two or three um, polluting industry, most polluting industry after agriculture, animal agriculture, and oil and petroleum. It's huge. It's it's there are so many things about it that uh, need to be changed, and it's not in the cl- climate change discussion. Um, it's not in any of really the the crux of you know why we as consumers have the voting power and the purchasing power, and it needs to be. Hmm. Um, the question I would want to ask is like, why is it that way? But it, it comes down to profit and, and things like that. Bottom right? line. Yeah. yeah. Bottom line, which not that profit is bad. Everybody on the shows knows that it's not that profit's bad, but it's totally. just, you know, yeah. um, the fashion industry has, a ridiculous disparity in margins. So like if you're really like, if you're Louis Vuitton, like your margins are great. Right. Right. If you're not, maybe not so much. Right. And yeah. so there, there's a, there's a way in which um, the industry is, is governed on the margins that you can get off the successful lines. Yes. Um, that, that, you know, save the other lines. So anyways. Yeah. yeah. Um, Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for letting me do that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's important because, as you mentioned, it's not on um, it's not on the environmental agenda. Like most people yes. don't look at the clothes that they wear, right? We normally think about cars. Sometimes we think about the food that we eat. Yeah. Um, but we don't look at like the cost of. I mean, we look at the financial cost mm-hmm. of having huge closets of clothes that we don't wear. <laughs> but we often don't look at the environmental cost of those huge closets and you know, so um, everything has an impact. Everything has an impact. And again, fashion industry, the third most polluting after agriculture and oil. So Animal so, agriculture and oil. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah. Um, alrighty. So we talked about the highlight or we talked about sort of the challenges of um, factory 45, like you're still, you know, Two years, you're still pretty, or still pretty young. young. Yeah, still pretty young, um, and yet you still had a lot of really good growth. So, what are what have been some spark moments where you're like, ah, I'm in the right place. Like this is really hitting it and nailing it. Um, let's yeah. talk a little bit about that. I think the product, and I'm, I'm calling Factory Forty Five the product, speaking for itself, like doing its job. You know, I'm not out selling snake oil. (laughs) The entrepreneurs who come through Factory 45 are going on to launch successful crowdfunding campaigns or, you know, start their businesses with in a pre-sale model, whatever it may be. Um, And the feedback I get from the entrepreneurs who come through the program is, you know, more than I could have ever dreamed of doing a product that like, yeah, does its job is a really nice, nice thing. Yeah. Especially when that product, I mean, you're selling a productized service, right? Yes. And so sometimes productized services are particularly bad about not promoting and marketing themselves. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, as opposed to the cute t-shirt that you see the cute t-shirt and it's like, oh, I'm totally buying the cute t-shirt, right? right. Um, right. Not for me. I'm buying it for my wife <laughs> right. for myself. Um, <laughs> Alrighty. So, um, two years into it, um, what's the greatest unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing? <sighs> Hiring. I am, I, oh man, I'm in the process of trying to hire and I've done it before and I just like, I don't think I'm good at it and <laughs> I'm just not finding the right people. So can I just like plug anyone out there looking for like a VA job? <laughs> um, no, I think that's, I'm an entrepreneur. And so that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a good manager. And 
So looking for people who can come in and be autonomous and independent, but also not want to run their own show is, has been a challenge for me to find those people. Um, that's the current. And also I just went off coffee. So that's the other challenge <laughs> two weeks in <laughs> two weeks in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could see how that would be a terrible combination. <laughs> Um, so what's the real challenge with, with the hiring scenario? So I, I have hired, uh, like a content and communications person, let's say is what I'm looking for. And that's, you know, it can be anything where like putting up a blog post to like managing your email newsletter, all that stuff. Um, so I can get, I'm so much my brand and I can get very perfectionist about it. So trying to find someone who is also like as organized and anal and it's, you know, detail oriented as I am. Um, but I think also just finding someone who has the vision, the same vision that you do, um, you know, just all, all those natural challenges that we all go through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And are you looking for a 1099 or a W2? Uh, 1099. Okay. Um, just as a quick side, sometimes it can be really challenging for the cultural aspects within yes, right? That totally. So, and in the past I've, you know, I've hired like my video team, my web designer, my graphic designer, all of them are 1099s and like they're experts at what they do. And so it's so easy just to like, Hey, I need this. And they, you know, turn it over. That's amazing. Whereas yes, a role to like kind of be my right hand person is a lot harder um, you know, working remotely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to jump into the free advice thing, but you didn't ask for that. So I'm not going to be an advice. <laughs> well, uh, you can give your, your listeners advice if you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing that I would say on this one, right, is you have to look at the difference between people who do projects and but people who do unstructured long-term work in your company. Right. And that latter tends to be much more, um, prone to BW2s and there are different ways to work that out so that it's still virtual and remote and so on and so forth. But you got to think, is, is this type of person, the person that I want to be working with for the next two or three years versus I just have a few projects. I'm, I'm going to talk to him when I have a video project, so on and so forth. Right. Yes. Questions that you start asking in the 1099 W2 discussion that, that become really important. There's also the legal line of if this person's working full time, so on and so forth. Right. You got to be very careful that you don't accidentally hire a 1099 that's working as a W2. Yes. Yes. That, that, that's a really good point to bring up. I think I would be hiring part time. Um, but yeah, I, and maybe it's that I need to, you know, shift expectations too, but that's, that's a nice piece of free advice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all righty. So if people remember nothing else about you and your body of work, this is your one song. What would you yes. want that song to be? Big visions are great and they're important, but success comes from putting one foot in front of the other every single day, keeping your head down, doing the work and knowing how to get to where you want to go. That's fantastic. Shannon, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Charlie. Okay, Creative Giants. So you heard it from Shannon. Big ideas are great, but you've got to take those steps every single day. So what idea are you working on that you need to take those steps today? Get your head down, take those steps. And until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, Creative Giant.